0: couldn't hear me. I'm kidding, you're not thankful. Well, Merry Christmas. How's that? That's a better place to start. And uh, you know, you'll notice Pastor Tim and I tried to dress up like presents. Uh, We have our present ties on, and we're very large presents uh, for various reasons, Uh, but uh, we hope all the kids get large presents this year. From my perspective, they've all been very good. So those of you who stand uh, to be the magic of Christmas, we hope you consider that uh, tomorrow as you give gifts to your children, their delight. Hopefully you enjoyed hearing them sing, away uh, in the manger, and uh, now let's thy throne. Two wonderful truths for our children to consider, and that's sort of the, the mystery of Christmas, isn't it? It sort of combines this infinite and eternal majesty in such grand humility, and a babe in a manger. Truly is a wonderful time of the year. Its goal is to fill us with wonder. And uh, you know, if you're a Christian who doesn't have much wonder in your life, uh, I think you have a lot to kind of learn and grow in. Because truly the Christian life is a life filled with wonder and amazement. And uh, I hope you, you kind of apprehend a little bit of that in this wonderful season. And think about it. You know, wonder and amazement sort of comes naturally for children. Uh, but as we grow older, we have to work a little harder at that. So I hope you, you work a little harder at that uh, during the, this wonderful season. To do that, we're going to try to do that a little bit together this morning. Let's take our Bibles, and we're going to turn back from my perspective to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, I think I gave a devotional a few weeks ago, and we spent some time here. Uh, we're going to look at this again from a, another perspective. Um, Truly, the gospel accounts gives us the events of Christmas, and uh, Paul here really helps give us the significance of Christmas uh, for we as churchmen and women. So we're going to look again at these wonderful verses, verses 1 through 11. I'll read them. Uh, we're going to pray here. Uh, in order to find that, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got plenty in the back if you'd like one. I know many of you come with devices, and so you can look at them, and any Bibles needed? We need one up front here, John, here, uh, Kim's got her hand up, Uh, anybody else? Okay, so uh, you'll need that, Uh, Philippians chapter 2, in my Bible it's on page 176, that probably makes no sense to you, Uh, but uh, you might have to look in the the glossary, and the index and find it, but Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11, therefore, Paul says, If there is any encouragement in Christ If there is any consolation of love If there is any fellowship of the Spirit If any affection and compassion Make my joy complete by being of the same mind Maintaining the same love United in Spirit Intent on one purpose Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and let's pray together. Lord, we stand at a tremendous time in the church calendar. Uh, This is Christmas. This is the day and the time and the season we celebrate of your birth, Lord Jesus, when God became man, and uh, we cried, Emmanuel, God with us, and uh, we thank you that uh, John could say that we beheld glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He later on would argue that what our hands had tasted, what our, our, our hands had felt, what our eyes had seen, what we had heard with our own ears. Lord Jesus, you walked among us and you were witnessed to, and, and uh, the historic uh, reality. It is verifiable, Lord Jesus, that you came and you died. You died for our sins, and you were buried, and you rose again the third day, again being witnessed to by well over five hundred believers, and and that witness continues for a millennia now, uh, as as the church stands in this time, uh, witnessing to the power of the gospel, to the power of the resurrected Lord that one who was born so long ago to die for the sins of the world. And uh, we continue, and we look forward to seeing you one day, Jesus. Uh, We can't wait for that. We miss you very dearly, and we can't wait to see you. And we thank you, Jesus, that in your wisdom you left us the Holy Spirit, who is so adequate, so capable. And uh, we pray that your ministry would be robust among us, dear spirit, this morning, that our eyes would be opened. That you would help us to joyfully welcome the truth that is laid before us this morning. And and as Pastor already encouraged, those who are here outside of Jesus Christ, that the scales from their eyes would fall off this morning. that They would see Jesus anew and afresh as the authority of all the universe. That they would bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And we thank you for that. So Lord, we pray we do our part uh, to listen attentively as best we can to try to understand this passage. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Christmas by many accounts is is truly instructive in so many ways for we as the church family. You know, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is that little babe in a manger set in motion an infinite number of realities and possibilities. Ones that heretofore In salvation history, we're not the emphasis, and we're not perhaps as experienced as richly. One of those is joy. Uh, We sang about joy this morning. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We sing of joy in this season. You know, Paul speaks here in Philippians chapter 1 and 2 on this theme of joy. Um, We could read about it in chapter 1 where we see Paul mentioning that he was filled with joy when he remembered uh, the participation of the Philippian believers uh, in the gospel with him. And and then now here in Philippians chapter 2, we we see Paul in verse number 2 saying, make my joy complete. So we have this theme of joy, this theme of joy, and uh, uh, We know that joy takes the pride of place in the human condition is one of the deepest longings of our souls, isn't it? We want to be joyful. We want to know joy. We want to have joy. And Paul, in Philippians, really the whole book, and specifically here in these two chapters, builds a pathway, a pathway. He constructs a pathway for those longing for joy that they can come to achieve it and they can experience it. You know, those of us who are uh, seasoned in instruction from the Word of God, uh, we know that the Bible often speaks of things that are very familiar, and then it sort of nuances it in in a little deeper and a little more meaningful way, and we're going to see that this morning. Joy certainly is the product of a relationship with Jesus Christ, of recognizing that we are fundamentally lost, that we have no hope outside of help from another source. And uh, the Bible witnesses the truth that Jesus is that source. We need righteousness to be in heaven with God forever, and we can't gain that on our own. We need help, and Jesus provides that for us through his life, and then he provides forgiveness of sin through his death on the cross. And he he takes the wrath of God uh, that ought to be ours, And he substitute himself, and he bears in an awful way uh, that wrath. And he he dies a very uh, bloody kind of a death for you and for me, for my sin and for yours, demonstrating just the wrath God has for sin. Sin ruins everything. And Jesus bore God's wrath for you and for me. And the Bible says that we can know full assurance of forgiveness of sin in a moment in time. The Bible calls that being born again. Uh, that can be the property of your heart and life this morning. You can know that in full assurance. You don't have to sort of labor under wondering if you'll ever know that forgiveness. Some of our friends in, in different religions teach that it's something you can never really possess. You just kind of hope for it. You, you, you got to kind of work for it. And you're never sure if your works are quite good enough. My dear friend, dearly beloved, that's not the witness of the Bible. The witness of the Bible says that God loved you so much that you can know in a moment of time that you are born again. And that's a wonderful metaphor. You know, just like you're sitting here, you're alive, uh, you had a birth date, and nobody ever even questions that (laughs) because they see you. Uh, So, too, you can know. Uh, the truth that you are born again spiritually, you have new life in Christ, you have been made a new creation in Him. Uh, and people can see that and apprehend it and know it, and you can too. So we'd certainly invite you to that. And that's sort of the, the gateway for joy. That is the, uh, the, the, the first uh, word that joy has. But Paul takes us a little further here this morning, and, and he takes us to a, a, a nuanced joy, The joy here in Philippians chapter 2 specifically that he speaks of is not just a joy that is experienced as an individual, as we might pursue it, but it's a joy that climbs to the highest degree possible. Uh, It is an experience that is heightened properly in the context of the whole of our church family. When we understand the role that we play in each other's joy and we execute that, Joy literally soars. I'm sure that's a joy that the company of God's people in front of me want to enjoy. They want joy to soar. Uh, We can make each other's joy complete. As Paul asks there, he says in verse 2, Make my joy complete. He pleads with the Philippian believers. Make my joy complete. We have the ability to enable each other's joy to soar, to complete each other's joy. And at the very core of our ability to do this is, ironically, Christmas. And that's really the whole argument or the basis upon which Paul is resting this ability to have joy soar. It's the events of Christmas. And it's the events that Jesus so amazingly exemplifies for us in such a humble, humble way. So this idea of a soaring joy for the company of God's people is really an idea that needs to be explained. And Paul's going to do that in in three simple ways. First of all he's going to give us a prescription, a prescription, a Christmas prescription for soaring joy. And then he's going to give us a proscription, a Christmas proscription for soaring joy. And then finally he's going to give us a point of view, a Christmas point of view for soaring joy. So first of all, let's take a look at this idea of a Christmas prescription for joy. Now, I'm using these words prescription and proscription uh, because my wife helped me to understand that there is some wonderful words in the English language that she looked up and she said, hey, these might help you in your sermon. So if you've ever wondered the role our wives play for us as we build our sermons, Now you're beginning to understand. They're very critical, let me tell you, in all kinds of ways. They tell you what went wrong, and they tell you what made sense, and sometimes they even help us along the way. (laughs) All the time they help us along the way. How's that? But thank you, Gloria. Anyway, she helped me come up with these memorable words. The first one is a prescription. And when we say prescription, how we want to understand that word is this way. It's to state authoritatively or as a rule... What should be carried out? In verse number two, make my joy complete. It's an aorist imperative. It's, it's a, it's a, to, to use Greek verbiage, it's, it's, it's a command in a sense. It's something that we are. Paul is commanding the Philippian believers to do, and we, by extension, should do as well. It's an imperative. It's a second person plural imperative. So what he's saying is, you all, you all, Philippian believers, make my joy complete in this imperative way. The word here is a word that means complete. It could mean fill it all up to its fullest. That's what Paul's arguing here. He's saying, look, I need help. Yes, I have joy in Christ, but I want my joy to soar church family, you have the ability to help my joy soar, and we have the ability to help each other's joy soar as we think about Christmas. Um, The object to be made complete, we've already mentioned, is joy. So what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying that this joy goes beyond what Paul could experience on his own. Uh, He certainly could enjoy a level of joy, but he's asking for help to make it move beyond. He wants it complete. He wants it full. He wants it to soar. Um, He says here uh, that, uh, uh, or I would say this, individuals may know joy, but this complete joy is the property of the company of believers together. This is a joy that climbs to the highest height, to the degree that's possible in this life. Folks, it's true this height can never be the property of just a single individual on their own living out in the world. This is not their property. This is the property of those of us who are meeting together. It's enabled by the whole of the church family as we purpose to make this heightened joy our experience. He's in, Paul's imploring and commanding in a very real way his fellow believers to please make this joy complete. You know, um, this idea of complete joy is frequently found in John's writings. And let's just take a moment if you have your Bible and you're good at flipping to some different places. Uh, these, uh, Paul, what Paul's really doing is he's picking up the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus Christ and he's bringing it into the proper context of the local church. So let's see that here. John chapter 3, verse 29. Take your Bibles and turn there. We have the expression. John chapter 3. <laughs> Verse 29, and uh, this is sort of in the context of, of, uh, of, the, of John, of dealing with John the Baptist and, 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 and Jesus' baptism. And he says in 29, verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. So there's this interplay, this this filling up of joy in the bridegroom and and the bridegroom's close friend. And and, and so there's this sense where Jesus is, is explicating or John's explicating this idea of fullness of joy. Turn to chapter 15, verse 11 in the Gospel of John. This is the vine and the branch um, subject that we're so familiar with. And Jesus says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. There it is again, our, our word. And in chapter 16, verse 24, Chapter 16, verse 24. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. There's something about asking in the name of Jesus that brings us fullness of joy. And and them doing it all together. These are all second person, plural, uh, uh, encouragements. In, in, In chapter 17 we have it again, verse 13 right across the page. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in a world, so that they may have joy made full in themselves. Jesus in his high priestly prayer for us. And again, we would see it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, and 2 John 12. You can look at those uh, on your own. But these are passive constructions. These are opportunities that Jesus is laying before those who are hearing him. Um, and, 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 and Paul picks up these, this heart of Jesus, these words of Jesus, and, and he turns it now into an imperative, an active imperative for the church. And this construction is noteworthy. Uh, and the construction is indicating uh, some important things. First of all, it teaches us that we are not the direct agents of joy. Who is the direct agent of joy? We know this from Galatians 5. The fruit of the, the who, the spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. So Paul is not saying we, we are the, the direct agent of joy. He's not saying that. But what he's saying is that the, the direct agent of joy has a conduit through which he loves to bring joy to its fullness. And that conduit is you and I. We have the ability to be the hands and feet of the Holy Spirit... In lives to accentuate, to bring joy to its fullest. And this is an amazing thing. This is an amazing, amazing reality. So, Paul uh, uh, is teaching us here that we can be the conduits of the Holy Spirit as he uses us to move joy to its highest height possible in the lives of those of the people who are sitting next to us. So can I give you a simple illustration? Maybe I should have just done this. This might have been the most simple. You know, what makes team sports so powerful is the multiplying of joy together as each team member does his or her part. We enjoy a win together. And that's very different than enjoying a win as an individual. But what is perhaps even more addicting in team sports is not necessarily the win itself, but those rare occasions when everybody on the team knows their own role, but beyond that, they love the role of each of the team members, those other gifted contributors, and they love it, and they depend on it, and they lean on it. The result is that the whole functions together like a beautiful, and here I'm mixing my metaphor, like a beautiful symphony, if I can use that mixing of metaphor. You know what happens at that point is wins and losses take their proper place and that they're simply moments to learn things. That's what wins and losses become for those teams. What takes center stage is that those who play together like that play for the very love of the game they just love to go out and play you know there comes a time in the church where we gather together and we love to come out just to be holy because we can that's the joy of life and we have the joy of encouraging each other to know that joy in a soaring fashion if we're careful. We can play our role, and we can appreciate the role of others. You know, at that point, we're left for a a profound love for the inventor of the game, uh, the one who enables you to play and become so skilled, in our case, living life, and a deep love and camaraderie for those around you with whom you play. You know, Paul, in this sense, sort of reorders the word The acrostic joy. Are you familiar with that? J-O-Y. Those of us who teach children. Remember what J stands for. This is sort of the order of priority. You want to put Jesus first. And then others. And then yourself. And that's a great, great little acrostic. Uh, But I would uh, sort of submit to you that Paul changes that acrostic a little bit. As we read further in verse number 2. And he would use the acrostic same S-A-M-E, I know that's not as memorable as the word joy But in order for us to Encourage each other and to help our joy Soar, we need to have The same attitude The same attitude, the same Spirit if you will, that's the S Christmas insists that Unifying attitude of Grace Church of Mentor must be humility We see that later on in the passage The A in same would be our Affection Christmas unifies and clarifies what the nature of our singular affection should be, and that's love. Have the same love for one another. It's the same love. The M in same would be our mind. S-A-M, our mind. Paul says you need to have the same mind. Christmas gave us the greatest form of Information from God. It came in the person of Jesus Christ Himself, who is the one for one revelation. He gives us the ability to have the same kind of mind. The same kind of mind. And then the E and same is our energy. We need to be intent on one purpose. Intent on one purpose, he tells us. You know, Christmas teaches us that there is one grand purpose given to the church. It was announced to Joseph by the angel of the Lord. And that is this Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Jesus saves me from my sin. You know, I was saved from the penalty of my sin at the moment I was born again. I now am intent on the singular purpose of being saved from the power of sin in my life. And finally, I'm hoping, confidently, expecting of being saved ultimately from the presence of sin in my life. You know, doing this all the while, I'm sharing the good news of Jesus with my unsaved neighbors who too need to be saved from their sins. This must be, dearly beloved, the one grand purpose of everyone who comes through these doors, to be saved from our sins. Christmas necessitates it. Whatever your motive for being here this morning or on a week to week basis, it must boil down to this one critical commitment I must be saved from my sins. And when we have a host of people who have that as the energy of their life, the Ian e saying, when they are intent on that singular purpose, We have a company of people gathered together that enable each other to soar in their joy. To soar in their joy. So the prescription is clear. Make each other's joy complete. But with a prescription, secondly, comes a proscription. Proscription. And I learned this. Did you know that the word proscription means the action of forbidding something? So if we had the action of doing something, proscription probably comes from the word prohibit, but a proscription means the action of forbidding something. And this is often true in the Word of God. We have, we have with the put on, we have a what? A put off. And Paul is recognizing that if our joy is going to soar as a company of God's people, as we influence one another, there are some things we have to be wary of. Paul puts it simply and, and, and and uh, we could read it there. Uh, don't merely, uh, uh, it says, uh, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Verse 3, verse 4 do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. There is an abiding threat to this completed, heightened sense of joy that we as a body of believers can know. There is a threat, dearly beloved. And it is the specter of selfishness, empty conceit, merely looking out for your own personal interests. These are the specters. These are the things to be warned about. You know, the word translated selfishness is a difficult word in Greek to translate. Um, uh, It was used, really, uh, sort of its understanding comes from the fact that Aristotle used it some three centuries earlier. And he really gives us a good metaphor, and I I think helps us to properly understand what is being talked about here. Aristotle, he used it to denote a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. So I think we understand that these days. Don't do that in the church, all right? Don't be that individual who's coming in with motives... Uh, 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 that are seeking things that are of, 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 of a nature that are not in line with our single intent. You're willing to get those in, in whatever way you think fair or possible. The word conceit here uh, is defined as, as excessive pride in oneself, excessive pride in oneself, putting too much weight on self. Don't do that. Don't put weight there. Uh, there. Obviously, we need to feed ourselves. We need to clothe ourselves, right? We need, we need to help ourselves, uh, uh, what's the word? Survive, right? But don't put undue weight there. Uh, you are not the focal point in the church. The Lord Jesus Christ is. He's the focal point. And we'll see that here when we come to a proper definition of humility. Uh, but Jesus is. And then finally, looking out for your own personal interests. You know, this is a... This is a present tense, what simply means this is sort of an ongoing thing that you're doing. And 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 well, what is it exactly? Well, the constant drumbeat of your life is to watch or to notice yourself carefully. Don't do that. Don't, don't make the drumbeat of your life sort of yourself. Don't, don't, don't do that. Again, there's normal and natural interests in self that will will need to be cared for and need to be dealt with. But if we're going to be joy-soaring individuals and encouraging others to know the same, we can't have as the drumbeat of our life sort of that first-person personal pronoun, I and me, dominating our thinking. Paul's saying don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. So if there's, there's abiding threats, there's also abiding allies or insulators, if you will, to heighten joy. This is the, the put on. Believers who regard others more important than themselves. Or, or I think some translation says regard, yeah, well, there it is, regard others more important than yourselves. This is a, a neat sort of form in Greek. It means that you take it upon yourself to make this your mission. Uh, you, you do this yourself. If everyone takes up this, this task, this in, in a sort of a present, continuous, ongoing way, making this the drumbeat of your life, regarding others' interests more important than yourself, then we have a great possibility of enjoying a soaring joy together. Um, this this uh, as more important than yourselves. Again, this this translates uh, uh, a present active. Matter, in other words, it's ongoing, but we want to be careful with this idea of more important than yourself uh, because there's sort of an insidious side of this. And the only way I know to, tra- to, to illustrate the insidious side is to remember Winnie the Pooh and, and to remember Eeyore. Remember Eeyore? Right? He was very much about thinking others more important than himself. But he did it in sort of an insidious, frustrating way, right? Everybody, you're always like, come on, you're, you're okay, you know. So we don't want to do it like you are. That's not the, the idea. Uh, uh, this is a simple acknowledgement of the powerful operation of the Spirit of God's work in the life of others. This is where this more important than myself comes from. It's really the, the, the point of New Testament gifting in the local church, if you have your Bibles, uh, take a, we'll take a look at Daniel real quick. Daniel chapter five. Uh, here's a great illustration. I think the Septuagint uses uh, this word here uh, as as it's just simply a recognition of realities, uh, spiritual realities. Daniel chapter five, verse eleven. It's not an eory kind of a thing. Um, uh, this is again when, when, when a, 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 a dream was had and, and the king was demanding and everybody was going to die and, and somebody finally came into the king. I think it was the queen there. Verse 11. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods and in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him and King Nebuchadnezzar, your father... Your father, the king, appointed him chief. So, so in other words, it's a recognition that there's a guy in the kingdom who's just amazing, and he's better than we are, and, and he can come and help. So that's the idea of the recognition that before us here are the future rulers of the world. If there's a born-again man or woman in here, they're going to rule the world. That immediately helps us to begin to understand that they're pretty amazing. And then beyond that they're gifted in the local church to make sure that we all have the same care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12. They have an amazing role to play. They're amazing and in many ways they're better than I am. I'm pastor teacher. I have a gift. I don't have all the gifts. I can't care for everybody in the same way we need help together. So this is an acknowledgement that there is gifting. There is capability that God has given each and every one of us. And if you want another example, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, this, it's God's peace. It's a, it's a true and rightful assessment of God's peace there. It's not necessarily a person, but the idea is it's, it's, it's amazing. It's good. It's wonderful. We want to think in terms of thinking about each other like that, like that. So the believers who do not look out for their own interests, but for the interests of others, they regard others more important than themselves. Um, these are the great insulators. The, the, the ability to have joy soar. And, and this is an amazing, amazing reality. So we have a prescription, we have a proscription, and then finally we have a Christmas point of view. A Christmas point of view. And we find that in verses 5 to 11. This is the Christmas story as seen from heaven. This is the great humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great humbling, uh, the passage that we love so much. And it stands as the template, as the exemplar, as the pattern of everyone in the local New Testament church. And that is the attitude to pursue, the posture, the point of view is humility the way that the Lord Jesus Christ expressed humility. Just four simple observations and then we'll close. Number one, observation number one about this humility. This attitude that we're commanded to have, this humility is the product of of revelation or it's the product of thinking about things you can't naturally grasp on your own. In other words, you have to be a Bible student you have to be somebody who is found in the Word of God to truly apprehend this kind of humility. This is not the humility that you get when you are out on the sporting field and you, you, know, you, you pass the ball or you sit in the corner of your room and you sit there and you say, I want to be humble, I want to be humble, I want to be humble. You know? I don't want to be like those proud jerks out there. I want to be humble, I want to be humble. No. This, this is the product of the student of Scripture. Scripture. This is the product of those who truly work hard at understanding the Lord Jesus Christ. A thoughtful consideration in our case of the true significance of Christmas is required here. Observation number two, this attitude, this humility is the product of how we are to apprehend our rights. That's what's at the core of this humility. Jesus had a right. He had a real right. He was the divine God of heaven And he set aside the rights of the independent use of his his attributes. He sets that rightful right aside. And he comes in human form, wholly submitted to the will of the Father. And he's going to accomplish a task. So so the, the issue of humility is the issue of what you perceive to be your rights. And the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a tremendous example of setting them aside. Setting them aside. Joy will soar when we have a company of believers who are working hard at setting aside even those rights. Even those rights. That's the core of it. That's just an observation. And you can correct me if I'm wrong but that seems to be where it operates. Observation number three, this humility is observed first in what? In actions, not necessarily words, right? Jesus is not saying anything here. (laughs) I don't think there's one word he says in this passage. He's doing something. He's doing something. Humility is first appreciated and and is energizing uh, 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 soaring joy When it's not being spoken that I'm humble, (laughs) but when I'm doing things that are humble. Observation number four, this humble attitude, this humility is replicated really by the fundamental entrustment of self, of self. I entrust that to the will of the Father in sovereignty and his providence. I stop entrusting self to me. I stop entrusting self to my spouse. I stop entrusting self to my children. I stop entrusting self to my government. I stop entrusting self to whatever the other possibilities may be. The Lord Jesus Christ entrusted himself to the will of the Father for his life. Now, the will of the Father for your life is not to go die on a cross, and for that you should be thankful. But the will of the Father for you, at least in this passage, is to help your fellow believers joy soar by being committed to these realities in your life. This is the lesson of Christian of Christmas. Dearly beloved, the babe in the manger gives us a delightful pathway to know a full sense of joy. And it teaches us to to consider our motives together as a church family. You know, may we learn well the acrostic same and work hard at that. Same. We want to have the same spirit, the same affection. We want to have a mind and we want to have energy to this one purpose, purpose of being saved from our sins. That's what we're here. That's what we're doing. We're being progressively saved from those yucky, yucky things that we still retain in our old sin nature. That's what we're here to do. We always want to watch out for the specter of selfishness, empty conceit, merely looking out for our own personal interests, and we want to look out for the interests of others. We want this to become the habit and pattern of our life. This is the drumbeat. And we want to we want to together always have the point of view of our Savior. A humility that is driven not by a morbid putting down of self, but rather inspired. Uh, to take a proper place of self as we look out among the company of God's people, their amazing giftedness, and our future hope that we will together be all that we should be. May that inspire our true humility uh, And in, with the observations we've already made. So may the Lord richly bless you as you enjoy this Christmas season. I know that's a lot. And uh, I know that, you know, my heart was full, and it continues to be filled with with the importance of our church family to gather with a demeanor. We've got to get past demeanors that are inappropriate for the local New Testament church. And the only way I know to do that is you've got to know well the demeanor to put on, because there are all kinds of demeanors you have to put off. You've got to know the real, authentic bill And you've got to focus your life on that. Don't worry about all the the counterfeits out there. Let's work hard at the demeanor that Christmas demands. Um, And may it be said of us, what Scrooge testified in Dickens' A Christmas Carol, with this renewed understanding from Philippians 2 of Christmas. "I I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. Maybe it said of Grace Church of Mentor, indeed, that's exactly what the company of Scrooges did in this coming year. May the Lord bless us.